So last week, we laid the foundation, as it were, for spiritual gifts. So here is the Holy Spirit's function according to Jesus from the book of John. John 15, 26, Jesus said, But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will, catch this, testify of me, Jesus says. So that's his first function, to testify of Jesus. John 16, 13. When he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you of things to come. He, the Holy Spirit, will glorify me, Jesus says, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. So the Holy Spirit's function is to testify of Jesus, to glorify Jesus, and to teach us and comfort us. And one way that he fulfills his mission is by gifting individual Christians to do the work of the ministry. Keep that in the back of your mind as you open your Bibles two places this morning. Open first to Acts chapter 2, put a finger or bookmark there in Acts chapter 2, and then turn on over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 as we continue in that verse-by-verse, line-by-line study. Last time I said one of the major problems in the city of Corinth was the lack of unity, and it was especially shown in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul wrote to correct them. And by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I love how Paul sandwiches the two chapters on gifts, chapter 12 and chapter 14, in between chapter 13, which is that great chapter on love. And we said, having a spiritual gift is not an end of itself. The goal of spiritual gifts is love while glorifying the Lord and edifying the body because gifts are meaningless, we were told, unless they're done and exercised in love. Jesus is the only one worthy of all praise, glory, and honor. And, and so exercising spiritual gifts are done in his power for his glory and to edify his body. If it doesn't meet that criteria, you might want to ask yourself, why is the gift being exercised? 1 Corinthians 12, 7, remember, said, The manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For the profit of all. So today we're going to learn that the Holy Spirit equips Christ followers with gifts in order to do what the Lord has called us to do. And again, I can't stress this enough, the gifts are non-essential for salvation. And so you got to know that. These are, these are not about salvation. This is about what the Holy Spirit has called us to do. And by the way, just before we get started, I was told that I apologized last week for the Word of God. And if I came across that way, I will never apologize for the Word of God ever. The Bible says what it says, and I'm going to teach what it says. However, when I'm teaching on such a divisive issue... I'm going to be so careful, as careful as I can, because there's believers, true, honest, Christ-fearing believers on both sides of this. And you got to know that. There are good, honest people. I am friends with people on every side of the spectrum on spiritual gifts. So I don't want to necessarily come in like a wrecking ball. But the Word of God is the Word of God. 
So if you have your sermon notes, they're in your bulletin. Roman numeral one, spiritual gifts help to reveal the gospel. Spiritual gifts help to reveal the gospel. Let's back up. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, start at verse 7. Again, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. So as we study spiritual gifts, there's some things you have to know. Number one there in your notes. 1 Corinthians 12 is not an exhaustive list of all the different gifts of the Spirit. There are many more. Ephesians 4 talks about different gifts. Romans 12 talks about different gifts. 1 Peter 4, and on and on it goes. So this is not an exhaustive list right here in chapter 12. Number two, the Lord is almighty, so he can gift anyone he so chooses to do great things for him and by his mighty power. It's all according to his will and his power. Number three, not all Christians agree about the meaning of these gifts. My goal, again, is to try and teach not only what it says in the original language, but give you all sides of the argument, and then you can go home and pray and what the Lord impresses upon your heart, and someday you'll come to believe like me and be right. <laughs> Number four. Every true believer has at least one spiritual gift. So let's break down verse 8 here really quickly. The word for wisdom in verse 8 is the word Sophia, which can mean two different things in the original language. One meaning of this gift, according to Strong's Concordance, is wisdom and intelligence, specifically the varied knowledge of things, human and divine, acquired by acuteness and experience. So by your experience, God has gifted you with some knowledge. The other meaning of wisdom, according to Strong's, is supreme intelligence, such as belongs to God and Christ. The wisdom of God in forming and executing councils and governments of the world from Scripture. There in your notes. The gift of wisdom is the ability to speak forth the wisdom of God in a situation where special wisdom is needed from the Lord through his scriptures. Now, some people, and here's where we're going to get into what some people believe and what some other people believe. Some people believe that this was a special gift given to the apostles that was unique, unrepeatable, and it was given by direct revelation from the Lord to the apostles to form the early church, and then it ceased to exist. Other people believe that this gift exists today, where people are given this gift with the ability to speak forth from the Bible in a unique way, to have insight into God's word, okay? The second gift, then, is the word of knowledge. In the original language, this word that's used for knowledge means a general intelligence or understanding of things of Christ. It can also mean a deeper knowledge of Christianity, something that belongs to those who are well advanced because of the Holy Spirit. There in your notes, knowledge is the Greek word nosos, which is knowledge of lawful things and unlawful things for Christians with moral wisdom, 
such as seen in right living. So the word of knowledge has to do with gifted teachers who study and understand and teach the gospel proclaiming Jesus as Lord. Now, with that being said, let me give you two main opinions that you may disagree with today about this gift. Again, there are some people who say this is a unique ability to declare knowledge that can only be known, that can only come supernaturally. You got knowledge, but it had to come from God because you could not know these things. Paul, when he was being sent to Rome, he boarded a ship. And through supernatural knowledge, this is what he said in Acts 27.10. Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. So some people have a unique ability to have this knowledge, almost a discernment. It was said that when C.H. Spurgeon was saved, he went into a church and a man was preaching. And as the man saw Spurgeon, he was given some special knowledge to aim part of his sermon directly toward C.H. Spurgeon. And it nailed C.H. Spurgeon right between the eyes, right to the heart of the matter. That God at that moment gave him a word for Spurgeon. However, let me give you the warning of warnings here. We have to be so careful of modern-day Gnostics when it comes to people who say they have some sort of private interpretation of Scripture. Okay? They do not. Remember back when we studied 2 Peter, 2 Peter 1.20, the Apostle Peter said, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man. There it is. But holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So some people believe the gift of knowledge can be a special word from the Lord for others. And there's been a lot of arguments, and I'll just tell you, I struggle with this one because I have had people say, I have a word from God for you. And then they say something, and instantly it's revolting. It's like the spirit inside of me is like, ooh. But I've had other people say, I have a word from God. And as soon as I hear the words, I'm like, man, I can confirm that. So you could say it has stopped and you could say, no, it's still for today. And that's OK. We can still be friends. But you got to be careful. You got to be careful. Test all things by the word of God and hold on to that which is true. So, again, there's other people who say that this has stopped because they believe any word of knowledge is adding to the word of God. And we have the complete canon of the New Testament. And so it's adding to and you shouldn't do that. But here's the deal. Notice that Paul says, through the same spirit. Through the same spirit. Every true gift comes from the Holy Spirit. And we know, we know that we know, he's not the author of confusion. So he will, one, never interrupt himself. Know that. If one gift is being exercised and someone interrupts with some other gift, you can know that God's never going to interrupt himself. Okay? He's never going to contradict himself. And he's never going to go against the clear teaching of Scripture. So if one of those things happens, if God interrupts himself, someone's not in the Spirit. If it's against the clear teaching of Scripture, that person is not of the Lord. 
And he's not going to contradict himself. Remember, John 15, 26, but when the helper comes, whom I shall send from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me, Jesus said. So the gifts are given to further the gospel of Christ. Roman numeral two. So spiritual gifts also build up the church. Look at verse nine. To another faith by the same spirit. To another gifts of healing by the same spirit. Paul said in Ephesians 4.11, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints. Why? So you could be fat, fluffy Christians. Oh, no, wait. That isn't what Paul said. For the equipping of the saints. Why? To do the work of the ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. You were given the gift to equip the saints to go do the work of the ministry. Why? Verse 13. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ. You were given a gift to build up the body. Why? So we could come to unity. And yet, what is the most disunifying thing within the church today? Spiritual gifts. So let's talk about the word faith here. In the original language, this is what it means. The conviction that God exists... And that he is the creator and ruler of all things. He's the provider of eternal salvation through Christ by whom we obtain our salvation. Okay? But Paul here is not talking about saving faith. And how do I know that? Because every Christian is given saving faith. Right? The moment we profess Christ, the moment we receive his free gift of salvation... We have saving faith, Ephesians 2.8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. So there in your notes, the gift of faith is the ability to trust God. Even when the circumstances appear to make the situation impossible. Think about Peter when he walked on the water. That was the gift of faith. Hey, Lord, if that's you, bid me to come. Come. And Peter, you know, so many people say only Jesus walked on water. That's not true. Peter walked on the water, got about three steps out, and then he looked at the world and sank. But for a moment, as Garth Brooks would say, didn't I have everything? So we got to be careful, though, that with the gift of faith, we don't start believing that we can command the Lord or that we can create reality because there's a God in heaven and you ain't him. Someone has said that the gift of faith is to be able to stand strong in the face of trials. To stand firm when the waves are crashing in. Because we know that the Lord has a plan to deliver us. That's the gift of faith. And so I want to look at an example of the gift of faith. And this man actually believes he didn't have it. And I would argue with him. But if you look at George Mueller, you see the gift of faith in action. If you don't know George Mueller's story, go and study it. But he fed 
hundreds of thousands of orphans and housed them as well. And he only trusted in the Lord to provide even when it was moments away from mealtime and they had nothing. He would pray, let's say grace, there's no food. Sit down, say grace. And in the middle of grace, knock on the door. The milk truck broke down. Can you use the milk? That happened over and over again in his life. And never once did George Mueller, by the way, faith teachers, ask for money. Never once. He was known for this extraordinary trust in God's provision. He was fool enough to know that God was going to show up. And so this is what George Mueller said about the gift of faith. His words. He said, think not, dear reader, that I have the gift of faith. That is the gift of which we read in 1 Corinthians 12, 9, which is mentioned along with the gift of healing and the working of miracles and prophecy, and that on that account, I'm able to trust the Lord. There in your notes, George Mueller's words, it is true that the faith, which I'm enabled to exercise, is a altogether God's own gift. It is true that he alone supports it and that he alone can increase it. It is true Moment by moment, I depend on him for it. If I were only one moment left to myself, my faith would utterly fail. But it is not true that I have the gift of faith, which is spoken of in 1 Corinthians. I wholeheartedly disagree. I think George Mueller had the gift of faith. How many of us could have 40 orphans starving, needing a meal? You don't even have a quart of milk. You don't have bread and say, let's say grace. I think that's the gift of faith. I could be wrong, but that's what I think. Now, again, there are some people who believe that this sign gift ceased at the canon, the closing of the New Testament. And there are some other people who think it still exists today. How about the gift of healing? The gift of healing. We see all kinds of crazy stuff on TV and we see all these other things. What's true? We see healing power all throughout the New Testament. And again, some people believe it stopped. Some people believe it's for today. The Lord still heals people today, but according to his will and his purposes. This is the only time I'm going to give you my opinion. My opinion is God heals whenever he wants to heal there is divine healing. There's just not divine healers. Here's what Adam Clark said. The power which at particular times the apostles received from the Holy Spirit to cure diseases, a power which was not always with them. Think about this. The apostles didn't have it always with them. For Paul couldn't even cure Timothy, nor could he remove his own thorn in the flesh because it was only given to him in certain situations by the power of the Holy Spirit, and perhaps he had it more than many others. There in your notes, the Lord heals people today by his power. Catch this. Sometimes he uses modern medicine. Sometimes it's by an unexplainable miracle. And other times he takes someone to heaven and they are completely healed. You, know, you understand? Everyone on this planet is going to die at some point. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are not going to want to come back. You're going to be perfectly healed, a perfect body, no more sorrow, no more pain. So yes, I have seen people healed. 
But I've also seen God allow people to go to heaven. I've seen it. You know, Deuteronomy 32, very clearly, the Lord says, I am the giver of life. I am the taker of life. And so sometimes you look at the Apostle Paul, and here's the proof text. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians talks about a thorn in the flesh that he had. And he said, three times I begged the Lord, take this from me. And God said, my grace is sufficient for you, for I'm made strong in your weakness, Paul. I've given you this thorn for a reason. And then again, notice, through the same spirit. Again, God's not going to interrupt himself. God is not going to contradict himself. And he's never going to go against the clear teaching of Scripture. All right, Roman numeral three. Spiritual gifts are used to spread the gospel. Look at verse 10. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. Number one there in your notes, the working of miracles, which is the working of power in the original language. It's the Greek word dunamis, where we get our word dynamite. Strong says this is miraculous power, ability, abundance, meaning, and might, strength. Miracles are supernatural events that we understand are outside of like the laws of nature. Something happens that should just never have happened. That's a miracle. In the early church, of course, miracles were used to verify the apostles. Think about this. If someone doubted Paul that he was sent by the Lord, God gave him, according to the book of Acts, extraordinary miracles to do things to prove that he was sent by the Lord. And again, there's pendulum beliefs here, right? They stopped with the New Testament. They still exist. I can just call them up anytime I want and everything in between. Here's what I would warn you. Remember from the clear teaching of scriptures that not all miracles are of the Lord. You see it very clearly in the book of Exodus, right? The magicians and all that. And even in Matthew 24, 24, Jesus said, for false Christ and false prophets will rise and show you great signs and wonders to deceive you. Okay, so you might see some miracles today. And you got to test all things by the word of God because not all miracles are of Christ. Number two, the next gift mentioned is prophecy. This is a discourse from divine inspiration declaring the purposes of God either by reproof or admonishing or comforting or any of those things. It's an endowment of speech of Christian teachers called prophets. Now, some believe that they can still tell the future with prophecy. And the people who believe that this closed with the New Testament, this is the passage they use against that. The end of the book of Revelation, the Apostle John said in Revelation twenty-two eighteen. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. Verse 19. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. Now other people claim prophecy, at least in this context, is speaking forth the word of God in a clear manner where others can understand it. 
And, and of course, again, there's those people who think that they can add to scripture or future prophecy. And, and again, it sounds a lot to me like the modern day Gnostics, knowing that no prophecy of scripture came by any private interpretation. This is what Robert Lindsay said there in your notes. At a broad level, the idea of the gift of prophecy refers to any and all ability to communicate God's saving will to others. So in a broad sense, anyone who speaks forth the gospel of Christ is actually prophecy in a broad sense. All right, number three. The gift of discerning of spirits. David Guzik says this gift is the ability to tell the difference between true and false doctrine and the teachers of that true or false doctrine. 1 John 4.1 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. 2 Corinthians 11 tells us that Satan can appear as an angel of light. And he deceives many with his messages. So again, not all miracles are of God. There can be lying spirits. Think about the prophets. Even some of the prophets of old had a lying spirit work through them. And, and you know what I found out? A lot of times these lies come up right after God did something. Right after God has said something or right after God has done something, you get a lying spirit. There in your notes. So if anyone claims to be a prophet, other Christians should go to the New Testament to evaluate what they're saying. Be a Berean. Go check it out. If it ain't right, it ain't right. I think that's what my grammar teacher told me. So there are some Christians, though, who are gifted. Every Christian has an ounce of discernment. Just know that. But there are some Christians who have the gift of discernment. They can see a situation. They can, they can stand back and listen and go, something's not right. There is something about this whole thing that isn't right. And I'm telling you, this isn't going to end right. I believe I have a little bit of that gift. I do believe I have that gift. And, and now the gift that you've all been waiting for, number four, different kinds of tongues. Of course, the most hotly debated of all the spiritual gifts, many, many schools of thoughts, not even two sides of this coin. This coin has eight sides, right? And so whether it's used for today or not used for today, what does it look like? What's the purpose? All that sort of good stuff. Turn over to Acts chapter 2 with me. When we get done with the teaching on the gifts of the Spirit, you're going to be like, I never want to hear it again. But some people believe that praying in tongues or a prayer language is what this means. And we're going to cover that more when we get to chapter 14 because it speaks about it. But the first time that we see tongues in scripture is at Pentecost. If you remember, Jesus told his followers, go wait in the upper room and you shall be filled with power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And when Pentecost happened, they got the Holy Spirit. Acts 2 Verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each one of them. 
And they are all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone, catch this, heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? So some people believe that that's what tongues is today. I've heard a story of a man that I really, really respect. He said he was at uh, uh, the, the Lions Club and he was having a church service and they made him keep the bar open because anytime the building was open, the bar had to be open. And he was in the other room preaching. And when he got done, he left and the bartender said, hey, can I speak with you? Sure. What do you need? And he said, how is it that you know the Armenian language? I heard you speak in my native tongue up there and I heard the gospel. And he was like, I was speaking in English. And so many people believe that's what tongues are today. Others believe many different things. We'll touch on a few, but they're in your notes. In the Greek, the word tongues means the language or dialect used by a particular people distinct from other nations. This is what gotquestions.org said. The vast majority of believers who claim to practice the gift of speaking in tongues do not do so in agreement with these scriptures. These facts lead to the conclusion of some that tongues have ceased, or at least it's rarer than some of our brothers and sisters make it out to be. So one belief is that tongues is connected directly to prophecy, and again, those people who believe that would say it closed with the canon of the New Testament so it doesn't exist today. On the other hand, here's the other extreme, and this is so aberrant. Hear me, this is so wrong. There are some denominations who say that speaking in tongues is the evidence that you are saved. That is an aberrant teaching because there's several problems with the fact that if you don't speak in tongues, then you don't have the Holy Spirit. And one is, Paul says in Romans 8, 9, now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not mine. So if they're saying that you don't speak in tongues, you don't have the Holy Spirit, then you're not saved. And now it's become an essential for faith. Paul himself asked the question, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, do all have the gift of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the best gifts. And yet I show you a more excellent way. And so we have to be careful. We studied the essential doctrines of the historic Christian faith a few weeks back. And to say that the practice or lack of practice of any certain gift proves you're saved is aberrant. It just is. And, and so another view of someone who says tongues still do exist is David Guzik. And me and David Guzik agree on a lot of things. And this is what he says there in your notes. When tongues are practiced in the corporate life of a church... It is to be carefully controlled and never without an interpretation given by the Holy Spirit. And again, wherever you land, again, being a Pentabaptist or a Carabaptist, so wherever you land, spiritual gifts are to be done in Christ's power 
for his glory and to edify his body. Roman number four. And I'll stop beating on you soon, I promise. Spiritual gifts are used to empower ministry. Look at verse 11. But one in the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. So again, the Holy Spirit's function. Testify of Jesus. Glorify of Jesus. Teach us about Jesus. And one of the ways he does that is by giving gifts to believers. Paul says again, through the same spirit, through the same spirit. So every true Christ follower has the same Holy Spirit. So God would not contradict himself. God would not interrupt himself. And God would never go against the clear teaching of Scripture. But again, 1 Corinthians 12, 7, for someone else's benefit. For someone else's benefit. So you got to ask yourself, if the gift that I am exercising, is it benefiting anybody but me? And I know we all love to sing that old famous hymn, it's all about me, Jesus, it's not about you. But you got to ask yourself that. Don Stewart said, Paul said the gifts were to aid the church in its mission. God has given spiritual gifts for the purpose of building up the entire church, the body of Christ. It's not for the glorification of one individual, rather for the glory of God alone. And again, we've seen abuses and everything else, and so a lot of people just want to stick their head in the sand and say, I never want to talk about spiritual gifts again. And that's not right. But notice it says, the Lord distributes his gifts according to his will. According to his will. And, you know, if God did it according to my will, things would be so different. Let me tell you what, I would have a lot of different gifts. I always said, always, even the day I entered Bible college, Lord, I'm never going to be an upfront guy. I don't speak any good. <laughs> I have a fat tongue, God. I stutter, God. My grammar ain't so great, God. Use somebody else, Lord. I always said, I'm going to be a behind-the-scenes guy. I'm going to help somebody else. And I think, you know, I think of the Psalms when the one who sits in heaven laughs. According to his will. My grace is sufficient for you. Okay. There in your notes. The Holy Spirit empowers Christ followers for the gospel ministry. The goal of spiritual gifts is love as we are equipped to do the work of the ministry. The Holy Spirit gives gifts as he sees fit, as he chooses. Why? To confirm the gospel, to build up the gospel, to spread the gospel. People need to know that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he died according to the scriptures, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, that you can have life. That's why the gifts exist. Spiritual gifts are a serious tool. They're not for a carnival act. They're to equip the saints that we can reach every tribe, every tongue, every nation with the good news that Jesus loves them. And, and again, I probably have a different belief on spiritual gifts than all y'all. And that's okay. But they're given to glorify God and build up the body to be done in love. They're to create unity, not division. We're his children. 
We have the same Holy Spirit. And so I'm going to end with this passage, 1 Peter 4.10. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. What's a steward? Someone that takes care of someone else's stuff. So minister it as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers... Let him do it with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Again, as we go through 1 Corinthians, you better bet we're going to touch every verse. And, and some of it, right, some of it's that, mm, man, it's feel-good stuff. But the whole message of the Apostle Paul was, he saw these divisions within the church on non-essential stuff. And so he wrote the book to tell them, stop it. So as we go through 1 Corinthians and you kind of hear some of that stop it message, that's what Paul meant. But here's the thing. Jesus, imagine for a moment that God of heaven would leave his throne room and come as a baby for the one purpose of being brutalized and hung on a cross so we didn't have to pay for our sin. And now we're his body. We're his bride. And so Paul lays this stuff out so that, look, we can agree to disagree. And like I said, when you get to heaven, you're going to know I'm right. But until then, <laughs> you know, love one another. Unity. Grace. In, in the essentials, unity. In the non-essentials, grace. Grace. But never... Never, never, never may a spiritual gift, whether it be singing or tongues or healings or whatever it is, may it never be done for self-glorification or self-edification. May it be done for the good of the whole body and to glorify the one who loved us and gave himself for us. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on back up. Thank you for listening, and we hope that you are blessed. If you'd like to find out more info about our church or any other resources like sermon notes or things like that, you can check out our website at livingfaithclamath.com. Make sure if you haven't already to subscribe or like us on whatever your favorite podcast app is. You'll find us at Living Faith Fellowship Klamath Falls. Again, be blessed. Be blessed.